Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. The Mishnah says that every person is obligated to view each and every person as being superior to yourself. Every, every human being to being superior to yourself. And not only to, to act as if they were superior to you, but to actually assess yourself honestly and to realize that they are superior to you. How is that possible? This guy is a bum a low life, and I'm, I'm an up, upright citizen. I'm sitting in the front row of the synagogue, and this guy is all the way in the back. What, what do you mean? That person is better than I, and I, I'm superior than I am. And he says, Al-Trebi says, yes, externally, superficially, you're the upright citizen, and that guy is the bum of the low life. But wait a minute, Let, let's go a little deeper. Firstly, the, it says, the rabbi said, don't judge a person until you put yourself in his shoes. He has to travel for business. He may have to travel in circles. And he has to be immersed in materialism. So maybe he has to go to such places which really... Um, a very tempting and seductive and it's very difficult to overcome the test that that person has. Secondly, that person may have a fiery nature and therefore being, uh, being exposed to such an environment arouses his nature to such an extent that it's, it's, it's almost impossible to fight it. Your life may be sheltered. You may live a very sheltered life. You're not exposed. And even if you were exposed, maybe your nature, you're very cold by nature. You're like ice. You don't respond to the environment around you. You live in your own world. You entertain yourself. You don't need other people to take care of you. And you live in your own world. So therefore, you're not so affected by the world around you, by the environment around you. Versus another person is very sociable by nature, is very, can't help but be affected by, by his environment. And it's exacerbated when you throw him into like, the, the, the fire. Then it becomes impossible for him to, to really resist the temptation. So don't judge another person so quickly. Although it's not an excuse for the person himself. Because God doesn't give a person a test they can't handle. If God puts you in such a situation, obviously you have what it takes to overcome your tendencies and to overcome your environment. But that's for the person to consider on his own. But for someone else, for the outsider, you can't judge that a person. But put yourself in his shoes. Would you be able to resist the temptations like he, like he had? So you look down at this person. You condemn this person. This person is a lowlife. This person is a bum. How could he do what he has done? And you immediately dismiss him and you label him and you, can, and you feel so proud of yourself. Ah, compared to him, I'm a saint. Wait a minute. Yes, that rapist, that murderer. Well, let's, let's, wait a second. We can't even relate to what he had to go through. You know what it is for a person to be tempted to murder? I mean, thank God we're not tempted. We don't even know what it's like. Imagine a person who's tempted to rape. I mean, it's, it's, we, can't even, we can't even relate to it. And yet we expect that person to overcome his desire and to do the right thing. Check his instincts. Check his desires. And yet we live in a society that tells everyone, follow every urge, follow every instinct, don't check anything, don't limit yourself, don't discipline yourself, just do whatever feels right. So just because you don't have that urge and that instinct that that person has, but yet you expect that person 
to have this superhuman strength to overcome this raging urge that he has to murder, this raging urge that he has to steal, or whatever it is. And yet, you condemn him. And you hold yourself superior to him. How dare he broke the law? How dare he did something that's immoral? He didn't check his, his urges and his instincts. Do you check your urges and your instincts? Do you demand of yourself the same thing you're demanding of that person? Is there anything in your life that you have to struggle? Do you ever inconvenience yourself? Do you ever do something that's a little uncomfortable? Do you ever go beyond your nature? Just, just, just a, a hair breath beyond your nature. Do you ever push yourself? Exceed your limitations? Go the extra mile? Or you, you just live in a comfort zone? You know, this is the concept of trickle-down morality. Why do you think that you have that murderer and that rapist? Do you know that in the shtetl, in the either shtetl, in Eastern Europe, there was almost no violence? There was no crime, there was no murder, there was no rape. You know why? Because the, the top 10% of society, the elite of society, they pushed themselves. They demanded of themselves. They were spiritually alive. And because they demanded of themselves so much that it trickled down, that even in the lowest segment of society, those who were dumb, those who were, who had the, who were very low IQ, or whatever it was, at least, at least the edges of society, at worst, they were harmless. But there was no violence. It was, a very, it was a very moral society. If you want to take the measurement of a society, don't look at the bottom 10%. It's very nice for those smug and content, the elite, to feel content. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a rapist. Look at those bums, those lowlifes, those ghetto people. But the truth is, as the saying goes in Yiddish, a fish that stinks, stinks from the head. The rat is at the head. It's the top 10% that's rotten and corrupt, and that's why you have the lowest 10% that are rotten and corrupt. Where are their heads at? Where are they at? You're feeling so arrogant and superior to everyone else? It's all your fault. You are to blame. Because there's no spirituality in your life. There's no growth in your life. You live very comfortable. Because if you were to demand of yourself and you were to grow and exceed your limitations and push yourself and push the animal and push the limits, that would trickle down all the way to the bottom, all the way to the lowest end, that they too would also be elevated on their level. So why are you so superior? So the Mishnah says every person, you have to consider every person superior to you. Because you are not struggling on the same level that that person is struggling. So that person is ahead. So if you assess yourself honestly and objectively, it really, it's, it's enough to really help you with, you with your narcissism or your grandiosity. You, know, you think you're God's gift to mankind. Wait a minute, the Mishnah says you're the lowest person on the space of the earth. Every single one, every human being on this earth is superior to you. And that's an honest assessment. So how can you compare? He, I am not doing anything wrong. He's violating trespassing, transgressing. He's committing, doing sins. And not only am I not committing any sins, I'm actually doing all the mitzvahs, everything that's expected of me. But I'm just following my habit, I'm just following my nature. I'm not doing anything unusual, I'm not doing anything unexpected, anything unpredictable. I'm not exceeding myself. I'm not doing anything uncomfortable. 
how can you put me in the same class as the person who is actively doing sins of commission? So the Alter Rebbe answers, since all the mitzvot are commandments from the king, the king, and he uses the expression the holy king, a king is remote, removed from his, his people. And there are two aspects of of a commandment that comes from a king. One is a king gives a commandment uh, because in order to run the country there are things that have to get done and therefore he gives a commandment and guides his people how to run the country. But then there is, as a king and a subject, the king gives a commandment because he's the king and you're the subject and you subjected yourself to the king and therefore it's to fulfill the will of the king. So for us, what's primary about the mitzvah is not so much the technical aspect of the mitzvah, the functional aspect of the mitzvah. Every mitzvah accomplishes something specific. But for us, what's far more important of the mitzvah is the fact that it's God's commandment. And God is our king. And we are his subjects. And as far as we're concerned, that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter what the commandment is. All the commandments in that sense are equal. If God would have commanded us to chop wood, we would have chopped wood with the same enthusiasm as we light a Shabbos candle, as we eat matzah and Pesach, as we put on tefillin, as we give a penny to tzedakah. There is no difference. It's, it's the commandment of the king. It's God's will. It's our opportunity to connect with Hashem. And that's the essence of the mitzvah. So the details don't matter. Yes, the details, there are details, and every mitzvah has its unique quality, and there's a difference between a positive commandment and a prohibition. But those are all details. The essence of the mitzvah is, the core of the mitzvah is, that this is the will of God, and this is how we connect with God. So therefore, it makes no difference whether God's wish is, expresses itself in a positive mitzvah, or God's wish expresses itself in a prohibition. God says, don't violate this prohibition, don't act, don't do this. Or God's wish is, do this, study Torah, do mitzvah. In the negative mitzvah, God wants me to overcome my urge, my instinct. Because when is it considered that you fulfill a negative prohibition if a person is tempted? If a person is not tempted to steal, and you don't steal, you're not fulfilling a mitzvah. A thief <laughs> who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks he's honest. A mitzvah is when you have the opportunity, and you have the desire. And only because God said so. God says, no, don't steal. When a person is too old, it's too weak to sin, he doesn't sin, that's not, that's not fulfilling the mitzvah. When a person has the means, a person has the energy, and a person has the ability, and only because God said, no, it's wrong, don't do it, and therefore a person restrains himself, that's how he fulfills the mitzvah. The same is true with the positive mitzvah, that God wants us to study Torah, and he wants us to overcome our urge, our instinct, our habit, even our positive habit, to go beyond our habit, to really throw ourselves into the studying of Torah, our whole mind, our whole soul, 100%. So if we're only studying with half a brain and we're just, you know, whatever is easy and convenient, we're not really pushing ourselves, we're not really making any demands of ourselves, so we're not doing God's will. So what difference does it make if we're not doing God's will in relationship to a negative commandment or we're not doing God's will in relationship to a positive commandment? The bottom line is I'm not doing God's will. So there is no difference. Yes, technically and mechanically, there's a difference between a positive, a difference between a negative. When you do a negative, you create a scar. Here, okay, I didn't study Torah, but I didn't do any damage. I didn't harm anyone. I didn't destroy the world. 
I didn't study Torah. I said, yes, you're right. Technically, you're right. In this case, I did damage to my soul. I did damage to the world. I, I committed the sin. In this case, it was a sin of, of omission. So I didn't reach my potential. I didn't push myself. But that's all the, tech, the technicality of the mitzvah. But when you get to the essence of the mitzvah, am I doing God's will? Am I doing God's will? Is my whole being an expression of what God wants? And therefore, if God wants it, then my life reflects God's will or not. And in this case, it's not. Because God wants me to exert myself and to really put my whole heart and soul into the mitzvah, into the Torah, and I'm not. So what difference does it make if I didn't do God's will in this case, if I didn't do God's will in that case, or something? So therefore, the, the two of you are, are equal. The bum and the low life are you on the same level. You're feeling so high and mighty. <laughs> get, off, get off the horse, high horse, and relax. You're not so high and mighty. You're on the same, same level as, as this one. Where you look down at and you in disgust. <laughs> Who repulses you. How dear. How could he? Really. Use those same words on yourself. Exact same words. What you're describing others is exactly the way you should describe yourself. Because you're really describing yourself. Disgusting, repulsive, bum, low life. Okay. Same thing. Disgusting, repulsive. Because you're not doing what Hashem wants of you. There's no heroic struggle. There's no real effort. There's no real movement. There's no real change. Just comfortable. And that's, that's enough to sober you up pretty quickly. <laughs> Assess yourself realistically. Have an honest assessment of who you really are. If a person were busy and occupied with fighting, his own, fighting your own struggles and trying to advance in your own spiritual life and really, really growing, you wouldn't have time to condemn other people and to look down at other people. You wouldn't have the energy, you wouldn't have the time. You're so busy trying to grow yourself and demanding of yourself, you wouldn't have the time to focus on other people. So, for example, everyone on their own level. We're not talking about outright slander or lies, but, you know, a juicy piece of gossip that suddenly comes up. Do you have the strength, the courage of your conviction, the strength of character to say, no, walk away. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear I'm just listening, I'm just a bystander, it's interesting. It's just a... Do you have the courage to walk away or to stop it in the middle? It takes a lot of courage. Your friends are sitting there, you know, you know or to walk away, hang up the phone, or... Do you, do you really have that courage, that strength to do that? So there are sins, but there are subtle type of sins. For example, it says if you shame someone, if you embarrass someone, it's as if you murder them. Their, their, their face turns colors their blood rushes to their face leaves their face and rushes to their face so it's like subtly it's a murder so there are sins that you can do in a subtle way so maybe for a, a lesser person it's not considered a sin but for someone like you it's considered a sin so a person has to be careful everyone on their own level has to be careful so the question is okay you don't do any, any overt crimes you don't, you're not doing anything gross any gross sins but how about subtle sins? Are you as careful about these subtle sins as, as, you're, as you're demanding from this other person, from the simple person? 
You're demanding of him to be careful and not to sin. Are you demanding that of yourself on your own level? Are you overcoming your desire, your urge, your instinct? So if a person will look carefully in his own life, you'll see that we're not so perfect. Again, the picture, the picture is not so rosy. It's not as perfect as we would like it to be, as we pretend to be, as we project in the public. We all project ourselves a certain image in the public. We're fine citizens, we're perfect citizens, we're respectable citizens. But if you look at yourself honestly and objectively, not so respectable, not so fine, not so... Not because we're doing anything grossly wrong, no. But that's not how you measure yourself. Don't measure yourself by that person's measurement. Well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a rapist. No, no, no. That doesn't make you a nice citizen, that you're not a murderer, you're not a rapist, you've got a bum, a low life. Measure yourself on your own measuring. What's a struggle for you? Because as long as you have to look subjectively, it's not objective, it's subjective. Look at the struggle. Everyone in life struggles. You struggle on your level, he struggles on his level. Who says one is more significant than the other? Your struggle is just as significant as his struggle. And if you fail in your struggle, what do you expect from this person? You are the rabbi and the scholar and the mystic and you are the, the top of the community. If you fail in your struggles, you expect him to... You expect that bum in the low life to be able to overcome his struggles. Who are you kidding? So who's worse? Who's at fault? You're much worse than he is. How could you look yourself in the mirror? What are you, what are you so proud of? Grandiose? Narcissistic? Superiority complex? Arrogant? Whom are you kidding? Which, which delusional world are you living in? Prick that bubble. Deflate that bubble. Prick that balloon. Get back to reality. Wake up. If you struggle and you successfully overcome your nature and you push yourself beyond your limitations, then you set the example. You can inspire that person. You want to change that person? You're upset that society has such low lives. You want to change the bottom 10% of society? Okay. Start with yourself. Change yourself. Struggle. Engage in the battle. Struggle. Overcome. Push yourself. And when you successfully struggle and overcome, then you'll see that, you, that you'll inspire others on their level to overcome their struggle. Because we're all connected. And maybe that explains why we're studying in the Talmud. That if a person kills someone unintentionally, he has to go to a city of refuge and he has to live there and stay there and be buried there until the high priest dies. When the high priest dies, then he's free. What's the connection? Because in a certain sense, it's the high priest's fault that this happened, that this sin happened. What do you mean it's his fault? He's the high priest. He's in the temple. He's the holiest Jew. What's the connection between him and a murderer who killed someone? Yes, unintentionally, but he killed someone. It's all his fault. Because were he to be a high priest the way a high priest should be, if he were to live up to his potential, if he were to engage in the struggle, whatever is a struggle on his level, and he was able to go beyond his limitation, it would trickle down and everyone on their level would be able to overcome their own personal struggle. So 
instead of looking down at other people or judging and condemning other people, you actually have to know the truth that that person is superior to you. You're worse than that person. And that's why there's no room for arrogance. The whole, all these artificial labels that one person may put up in relation to other person. You know, I'm an orthodox person, I'm a religious person, and I'm a greater person, I'm a better person, while well, that person is not religious, and that person is secular, and that person is... All these artificial labels that just give you a false sense of superiority, and I'm a superior person, I'm so holy, I'm so devout, I'm so pious, I'm so divine, I'm so godly, I'm, I'm living in Jerusalem, and I'm, I'm so immersed in holiness. How can you compare me to that bum, that lowlife, that secular bum, lowlife, atheist, good-for-nothing... Really? <laughs> Relax before you, get, before you get carried away in your own self, uh, in your grandiosity, in your narcissism, in your delusionary assessment. The Torah says, wait a minute, just relax. You're much worse than that. Really? Yes. You expect him to struggle. Where's your struggle? None exists. And even if you struggle, it's a tiny struggle. You're pushing yourself, a baby step. Okay, big deal. That's not what you expect of that person. You expect a real struggle. You expect a dramatic change. He should change from one extreme to the other. Where's your dramatic change? There's no drama, there's no dramatics. It's quite boring, quite predictable. Nothing new in your life, nothing changes. Same as today, yesterday. Yeah, slowly, literally. Small steps forward. But there's nothing dramatic, nothing exciting, nothing to write home about. And how about all the subtle things in your life? You think you're so perfect? How about all the subtle things? The subtle lies, the subtle slanders. You know, the small things that we just step on because we don't pay attention to and we think it's no big deal. Because mistakenly we look at the, we look at the externals. We're not looking at the, not the externals that matter, it's the struggle. And there's no struggle in it. So who's, who's worse? We expect more of you than we expect from that person. So you're far, off, far worse than that. And if you, ha- if you approach that Jew with that sense of humility, then maybe you would be able to have an impact. When you approach another person with arrogance, I am doing you the favor that I'm talking to you. <laughs> And I'm going to draw you close to me. I'm the insider and you're the outsider. And I'm Kirov Rechaikim. You're the outsider and I'm the insider. And I'm going to be kind enough to let you in to my holy abode. The insider, outsider. You're the outsider. You're so outside. It's not even funny. You don't even realize how outside you are. You're more outside than that person. Especially when you start looking down at other people. You start feeling arrogant and superior and holier than thou and... I'm better, and that's not Yiddish. When do you know that you're really in touch with the truth? It's if you really fulfill what the Mishnah says. Every person is superior than I am. When you really feel it, and appreciate it, and acknowledge that, at that moment, you're connected. At that moment, you feel joyful. At that moment, you're alive. Truly alive. Inwardly alive. Joy comes from within. And you feel, then you're alive. And then you can break through all barriers. When a person is joyful, all possibilities open up. When a person is, is not joyful, 
you know, you create this, you close your mind, you know, it's really the closing of the mind, and you, you really, you know, limit your options, you don't really see the way out, and you just, you just, you know, you just dig a hole for yourself, but when a person is joyful, many opportunities, and you can go in new directions, and, you know, things open up, you know, things change, change is possible, not only is change possible, change is inevitable, when you plug in to the, to the dynamic change, which is constantly changing, God is creating the world each and every moment, the whole world is one dynamic change, the world is vibrating, the world is alive, the world is constantly being transformed from energy to matter, once you plug into that, that eternal reality, then your life starts changing for the better, you're alive. You change your habit, you change your nature, you change, and then your life starts changing. Things start moving in your life. Things that you feel you're stuck, whether it's financially or health, everything starts moving. You know, once you plug into that joy, there's no, there's no limit to what's possible. It's like a nuclear explosion. There's no limit to what's possible. It's inexhaustible. It's, in, it's infinite. There's, there's so much that could be done. We have such potential. We're not even scratching the surface. So when you approach that other person with humility instead of arrogance, then you'll have an impact on the person. The person senses no ego, there's no arrogance. And that's the biggest symptom that something is wrong with your service to God. Because there's no joy. Anyone who walks around with a sense of arrogance, it's guaranteed there's no joy in that person's life. There's no lightness, there's no joy, there's no cheerfulness, it's, it's heavy, it's negative, it's dark very judgmental, very oppressive, very harsh. No love, no joy, no kindness, no goodness. All wrapped in the name of God. When the person is so far, he's so unhealthy, he's so critically ill, because the first sign of health is when, when the person is light, when the person is joyful, the person is light, egoless. And if you approach that person with that approach, then you can reach that person. You can connect with the person. There's no ego. Ego doesn't get in the way. There's no ego. It's soul to soul. And when the person sees that sincerity, and the person sees that you're growing, you'll inspire him also to grow. And he'll be able to deal with his struggles. And he'll be able to make the dramatic changes that he has to make. Because you're making the dramatic changes that you have to make. This is an honest, this is honest accounting. Otherwise, we end up with this bubble that turns up being nothing. It's not just in the financial world where, where tragically you have this huge bubble that turns out to be zero. It's amazing. Overnight. Huge, giant, behemoth. Right? Ends up being nothing. There's nothing there. So when you may, by the time you're through making this calculation, you're taking this huge inflated bubble that we all create of ourselves this idol that we make of ourselves and you bring it down to its real price its real worth its real value and now we can go to the marketplace now, now we know what, what, where, where we're really at in life then we can go from there now we can talk business now we can talk reality this is the real value of what's really going on a person was worth fifty million dollars, and now he's, and that fifty million is now worth twenty thousand. The chairman is worth a billion, and now he's worth what, what's that? What's that worth? Seventeen million. And it's, like, it's a crushing. What a crushing. Well, we're lucky we don't have those problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy says, my wife and I, they're married twenty years. We started with nothing. We have most of it left. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.